0: Good morning again. This is a special occasion for our church, and it's a special occasion for me. And I appreciate you being here for it. And due to the occasion, I decided that it would be best to step outside of Genesis for this week and preach on a passage that I've actually wanted to preach on for quite some time, but I wasn't sure when I would get the opportunity. And then it turns out that this was the perfect opportunity because it is a passage of scripture that will really help share and cast my, somewhat my vision, but I guess more so philosophy of how to build a church, metaphorically speaking. Have you ever bought junky products? What I realized when I was writing this this week is it's unconscious, but I always seem to start with a rhetorical question where the answer is yes, of course. We've all bought junk, junk that was a complete waste of money. And sometimes when I'm talking about junk, we think about the things that we bought that we just never used. But that's not what I'm talking about. Because you can buy good products that you never use. I'm talking about the stuff that we buy that we wanted to use, but it was so poorly made that we could never get any good use out of it. That kind of junk. Maybe you've bought some of that cheap fake wood furniture that fell apart faster than you could even put it together. And it was fine as long as you kept it in one spot and never tried to move it. Or maybe you've bought some cheap tires that uh, were just worn out after a quarter of the miles that better tires would have done. Or maybe you've bought some tools that were cheap and then they broke on you right when you needed them the most. You know, we, we've all been there and we keep asking ourselves, why is everything so poorly made nowadays? And of course, there can be multiple answers to that. You know, you can talk about the increasing cost of materials and labor and things like that. But I think the biggest factor, the fact that things continue to be made so poorly is people keep buying them. <laughs> if there's a market, you keep buying them, they'll keep making them. And houses are a prime example of the way the quality has decreased and how many people have bought their shiny new houses and realized in one to five years how poorly they were constructed and how much of a money pit they became because of that. And, you know, sometimes you can see the poor quality craftsmanship from a mile away. I mean, it's just, you can just see it, it's staring you right in the face, but other times... What It's meticulously and strategically covered up. But either way, the end result is the same, isn't it? Now, when it comes to building a church, and by a church, I mean a congregation. I'm not talking about the physical building. I would, a lot of the focus is always on the foundation, and rightfully so. That's a good thing to focus on. I would guess that many more people would be familiar with the story that Jesus told of the house built on the rock versus the house built on the sand than they will be with the passes of Scripture in Corinthians that we're going to be studying this morning. Now, don't get me wrong. The foundation is the most important aspect of a church. However, a church is more than a foundation. There's more to it. The foundation is not the only important thing, and that's what I want to show us today in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. This will be a nice change of pace for you guys. We're usually going through like a whole chapter at a time. We're only talking about five verses here. <clears throat> so this passage says, According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. God, we pray this morning that this immensely important and practical passage of Scripture would help us. God, I believe that you have things here to teach every church but I especially believe that this is pertinent right now as Riviera goes through a transition. And this can lay the foundation for how we move forward together as a family. And I pray that we would open up our hearts and our ears to understand this, to take, to take it away from here and apply it to our lives, to use it to grow stronger and healthier as a church. So give us wisdom and help us as we study this passage together in Christ's name. Amen. So we'll go back to the beginning. According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder and another builds on it. So this is Paul. He's writing to the church in Corinth and in making his points in this passage. He first wants to clarify that all the glory goes to God. That's what he starts with, because he goes on to talk about the work that humans actually do in building a church, metaphorically speaking. And Paul was saying like, hey, he was the guy, he was laying the foundation. Others would build on it. However, he makes sure to point out that it's all because of the grace of God. That's why it all happened. And one of the things to understand about this passage is the focus that Paul has on church leaders now, the principles here apply to everyone because we're all a part of the church. We're all a part of uh, building the church, so to speak. And so we build on the foundation of Christ. But there's a warning here to church leaders because they are the ones who lead the church in the direction that it goes. You know, every, everyone in a congregation is a part of uh, providing the labor for the construction, right? But, but church leaders are like the project managers and the foremen. And so part of what I'm teaching today is how Riviera can keep their leaders accountable to leading according to the principles in this passage, which is the way that I want to lead. And the first thing to understand about that is that it is imperative that a position of leadership is never characterized or derived by pride. Understand that there is nothing good that any Christian leader can do that has not been derived from God's grace on their life. God's grace is the only reason that I can stand here today because he gave me life to begin with. He was gracious enough to save me from the penalty of my sins as a young boy. He has been gracious enough to continue sanctifying me from the power of sin ever since that day. He's been gracious enough to give me a godly wife to partner with me in ministry, and gracious enough to provide good teaching along the way in my life so that my beliefs and convictions come from Scripture and not from the culture or my feelings. He's been gracious enough to protect me from falling into sin and being disqualified from ministry up to this point. He graciously brought me to Riviera, where I could continue to develop and grow in gifts and and wisdom and passion and experience. Therefore, if I stand before you today and you have anything good to think or to say about me this morning, I will remind you that it is only there because of the grace of God on my life. That's it. I'll tell you the same thing that I tell my kids. Everything good about me is from God. And everything else is me. And Paul, through God's grace was this foundation layer. That's, well, that was his thing. He's the foundation guy. And so he would go around from place to place, laying the foundation and getting churches started through his evangelism of ministry. But he wasn't the guy who was gonna stick around for years and years and build on that foundation. He wasn't the guy who was gonna stay and pastor a church. He was gonna pass that job off to others, as he talks about. He says, I've laid a foundation as a skilled master builder and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. So the beauty of Paul's job as the foundation guy was that he didn't have to come up with a new foundation everywhere he went. He could go from city to city. Everywhere he went, he could just replicate that same foundation He didn't have to go to a new place and come up with new schematics. There was only one foundation to lay, and you just take it everywhere you go. That's a nice way to do your job. It was a hard job still, though. But that foundation is the biblical gospel of Jesus Christ. We've taught on it over and over and over and over again. You'll find it in some way in almost all of my sermons. And specifically, we've taught on the false foundations that people try to use, the false gospels. There are many out there, and there are so-called churches that build on these false gospels, but they're not really churches at all because you can't be saved by a false gospel. Which I think Paul shows us clearly here. If you believe that Jesus is one of many gods, instead of the God of the Bible, you are building on a false foundation. That's why when I talk about some groups who gather together, They call themselves churches, or they might have a sign outside of their facility that says that they're a church. When I talk about some of those groups, you might notice in personal conversations that I refrain from using the word church about some of them. There are buildings where people gather in our neighborhood that have church on their sign, but they're not a true biblical church. Now that we live in South Eugene, every day I drive by what's called the Unitarian Universalist Church. But there's no such thing. Because if you don't believe that Jesus is God and that he is the only way, truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, then you can't be saved. And you don't fit the biblical definition of a church if you've built on the wrong foundation. And and that foundation, they, they can look different ways. Some build on a completely false Jesus entirely, but others... They may claim they believe the Jesus of the Bible, but then they twist the gospel. And so they might build on a works-based salvation on one hand, or on the other hand, a salvation of cheap grace, where Jesus is presented as Savior but not as Lord of your life. Others might present salvation as a way to get health, wealth, and power. And some present a gospel of political might and activism instead of freedom from sin. Paul says no one can lay any other foundation than the Jesus Christ presented in Scripture. But of course, you can lay another foundation, and people do lay other foundations, but you cannot lay any other foundation for a true church. Because if you do that, then you have automatically disqualified yourself from being a church. You're something else. But my main focus today as I said, and as you probably noticed from the title, is not actually the foundation. As I said, we've taught on that over and over and over again. The focus today and of this passage is also on the materials that are used to build on that foundation. As Paul goes on to say, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, the fire will test the quality of each one's work. We rightfully spend a lot of time focusing on the foundation of a church. We would be, it would be so horrible not to. It would doom us from the start. If you build your house on the sand, it doesn't matter how strong the walls and the roof are. When the storm comes, it's still going to fall down. So we must build on the rock of the true Jesus Christ. The foundation of a church is what saves us. It's the salvational component of the structure. So that's really, really important. Because we see in verse 15 that the things that we build on the foundation with are not what save us or not. But that doesn't mean they're not important. And that's why Paul needed to write this. And that's why we need to study it. And so as we continue in the message, we're going to do so assuming that we're talking about a true church that has built on the true foundation. So that's great, we got the foundation out of the way. We've got an an unchanging, unbreakable foundation that can stand up to fire, flood, earthquake, anything you can throw at it. That's good news. But a house needs more than a foundation. You can build your house on the rock, but if you build with weak materials, when the storm comes, it's still going to fall down, though the foundation will still stand. The rest of the structure will come crumbling down, which is exactly what Paul's saying. And he lists six building materials, and I don't believe that there's some special hidden meaning to each one. Instead, notice what he does. He lists three that will stand up to fire and three that won't. That's the determining factor. Will they hold up in the fire? Well, you're like, well, what fire is he talking about? The fire of hell? No, not the fire of hell. But Christians are going to face the judgment of God. We are. We will have to stand before God for judgment. Now, we won't stand before God. And he won't judge our works to determine whether or not we've done enough good to be saved. That's not the judgment that we're going to go through if you've truly repented and put your faith in Christ. But instead, what Christians will do is we, we will be judged for our works, but not for salvation. Why? For reward. That's what he says. There's reward. What rewards? I don't know. I don't know that. The Bible tells us that there's rewards. It doesn't tell us the nature of those rewards. But there are rewards even beyond the only one that we really need, right? Which is eternal life with our Lord. But they're they're real. And so Paul is saying that how we build a church matters. And we can choose to build a church with materials that will have an eternal impact for God's kingdom or things that will only be useful in this world. There went the microphone. And so on the day of judgment, we'll find out which was which. Right? But I think sometimes, too, we get a glimpse, even now, even before the day that God judges, we get a glimpse if a church is building with weak materials because they can't even withstand the fires of this life, much less the one to come. Like the pandemic. That was a refining and revealing fire that exposed the health of many churches. Now, every church was affected. Nobody could get away with that because every church has false converts. Every church has immature Christians. So you can't avoid that. Everyone was affected. But we can see more into the heart and health of a church when tests like that come along. And we see, do they bring up division? Do they bring up distraction from the mission? Things like that. And the pandemic isn't the only kind of test. I mean, there's all kinds. Every false gospel that comes along is another test for a church to see if it will get thrown off by that. Every effort of our culture to influence the church to compromise on the word of God is a test. Every conflict the church faces is a test. Every discovery of habitual unrepentant sin in the church is a test. Every leadership transition is a test. And churches that build with strong materials will endure those. They will not fall for a false gospel and get distracted from their purpose to bring glory to God and their mission to make disciples. They won't, under any circumstance, compromise on the clear truth of Scripture. They won't ignore conflict and respond in an unbiblical way and let it bring division in the church. But instead, they'll respond by being peacemakers, the way that the Bible tells us. They'll address unrepentant sin and follow the steps of church discipline given by Jesus and Paul. They won't let a leadership transition bring them down, but will instead use it as an opportunity to learn and grow and change as needed. And change is always needed. There's always something. We always need to keep growing. Now, do any of these things guarantee that a church will experience numerical growth and success in the eyes of the world? No. It does not. There's no guarantee of that, but it does guarantee that the work that we do is not in vain and won't end up being burned up at the end. Because scripture, obedience is the only measure of success the Bible gives us. That's it. It's the only one. Churches... They come up with all kinds of, of, of records, all kinds of metrics, all kinds of things that they try to keep and, and look at to measure. Are we being successful? Are we this? Do we have this many people in this age group? Do we have this many people in this race? Are we doing all these different things? But the only thing the Bible truly gives us is obedience. It's the only way to measure success. And so the question becomes, when we're talking about building a church with strong materials and weak materials, are we just shooting in the dark and and we're just, we have to wait until the end to find out if something's strong or weak or can we know now? And I believe that we can to a degree, not, not everything. There were some things that we won't know for sure until the end, but even now we can know because many are self-evident because of God's word. And so that's where I want to really make this practical and and look at some strong materials versus weak materials that a church can choose to use. A strong material is good doctrine. A weak material is bad doctrine. The Bible teaches us more than just the gospel and we should learn more than just the gospel. That's why at the beginning of the chapter that we're studying, Paul was actually telling the Corinthians how he wanted to move past giving them milk and give them meat instead, but he couldn't because they weren't ready for it. He he calls them like infants. But he wanted them, he, he thought that at that point they should be like parents instead. Our beliefs matter beliefs beyond the gospel, they matter and they greatly impact how we live our lives and how we function as a church. And at some point, I hope to do a series on the letters to the seven uh, churches in Revelation. And and, in that series, you will see so clearly how seriously Christ takes doctrine. He speaks about it to those churches. And churches that neglect their beliefs beyond the gospel They're building with weak materials. They get tossed to and fro by every new wind of teaching and fad. And they get distracted from their mission because their roots don't go deep. And it's not supposed to be that way. Paul makes that clear in Ephesians 4, 11 through 15. He said he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. into Christ. See, churches that dig into the depths of scripture and have a full theology that speaks to every aspect of life, they're going to stand much stronger. They're going to end up with work. Much more of their work is going to withstand the fire in the end. And a strong building material is humility and servant-mindedness. A weak material is consumerism. Strong churches will live by Philippians 2, 3 through 4. And I'm going to bring that other slide up. If you're taking notes, don't worry. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility, consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That's the mentality that a strong church will have. A church building with those kinds of materials will develop people whose minds go, how can I be of service to the Lord and to my brothers and sisters in Christ? That's the mentality of mature Christianity. And that's what strong churches develop are mature Christians who are concerned, not just about their own personal interests. And so... Whenever a mature Christian looks for a church, they're looking for a healthy place to learn, grow, and to serve. But what they're looking for is they want a place that's loving, that's uncompromising on the truth of the Bible, that teaches the Bible well, that has leaders of strong character, and has a heart for making disciples. And for them, everything else is either not a big deal or it's something they can help fix. And so the, that, that mentality, they'll, they'll say th- th- things to themselves like, ah, oh, yeah, the music isn't my style, but so what? It's someone else's style, good for them. And I, I, I can still sing those words and, and, and praise my God, and then I can listen to whatever I want to all week long. Or they'll say things like, well, sure, I wish, maybe I wish they had more kids or more youth or more young adults or something or, or more programs or more mission trips or whatever it is. But you know what I've seen about that church? I, I can tell that it's not because they don't care. It's because they just need more help and I can help. I know that's like, poof, like your mind is just blown right now. I'm like, whoa. But that's the way that mature Christianity thinks. That's the way they look at their churches. But a consumeristic church, on the other hand, will attract and develop people who say to themselves, does this place have everything that I want? Or maybe there's more. Maybe there's a different one out there that has more. Or they, they just don't have enough programs. They just don't have the right music. They just don't have enough people like me. They just don't do enough of this or that. And, and those people will all, they won't be committed to the church. And so the church will always be afraid of losing them and will continue to feed their consumeristic mentality in an effort to keep them. Someone wise once said, what you win people with is what you win them to, meaning the strategies and the, and the things that you use to reach and to keep people, whatever they start with, you should expect them to keep that mentality. So if you win people with money, you win them to money. If you win them with fear, you win them to fear. If you win them with entertainment, you win them to entertainment. Conversely, a healthier, stronger church will feel much more secure because their people will show a strong commitment. And they won't expect them to leave unless they move away or the church heads in the wrong direction. And so instead of wasting all of their energy and their time and their resources on trying to give everybody what they want, they can instead focus on what does God want. And they can focus their resources on making disciples and church planting and giving outside of themselves and things like that. A strong material to build with is obedience. A weak material is pragmatism. If you're not familiar with that word, uh, obedience asks the question, what is right? Pragmatism asks the question, what will work? Okay. Obedience is a strong material that will last for eternity. And and this is, I'm going to say something that's so simple, but it is so difficult for churches to really, truly believe. You can never go wrong with obedience. It's true. You really can't. Strong churches will measure their success with how obedient they have been to God's Word and to the Holy Spirit. And so when it comes time to, for instance, practice church discipline on someone who refuses to repent from their sin, even though they know it's going to cause problems in the church, it's going to cause conflict, we might lose people, we might lose money, None of that matters. They're just like, what should we do? What does God's word say that we should do? And that's what we're going to do. And that's it. That's how we measure success. Pragmatism, on the other hand, it's fickle. And it won't stand the tests of time. So a pragmatic churches will tell themselves, well, you know, yeah, the Bible says that. But man, it is not worth all the trouble that that's going to cause. I mean, there's so many other cons that come along with this. I don't think it's the right thing to do. Pragmatic churches will fill their worship team with unbelievers because, who knows, they went out and found better musicians or singers or something. They'll they'll water down their sermons because they don't want to offend anybody. They'll have separate youth worship services because the teenagers like that more. They'll cater to complaining voices just to keep the peace, even when they know that it's not right. Ultimately, what it boils down to a pragmatic church will do whatever they think is necessary to be successful. Which automatically shows us that their definition of success is not obedience. Instead, it's numbers, it's dollars, it's happiness, it's influence, it's power, it's likes, shares, and views. But a church who who views success as obedience will ask themselves, what does God's word say? Is it clear? And if the answer is yes, boom, done, end of story. We know what we have to do. We just have to figure out the best way to do it. Now, if God's word is not clear, and it's not always clear on every situation, then we'll ask more questions. Like, well, what is going to bring God the most glory and, and, and that we can do without compromising our convictions? How, we'll ask, how will this reflect on the name of Jesus and on the gospel? We'll ask, is this the best way, or are we taking the easy way out so whenever we we face those difficult times those decisions that we have to make the end goal is going to be obedience first if the bible is clear then that's clear and if it's not clear then we'll ask what is best not what is easiest a strong material to build your church with is to make it christ-centered a weak material is to make it leader-centered Churches that build their identity on and in Christ will stand more firm through the tests of life. And churches who build their identity through human leaders will fall. Every time. So this is where I do my, you might be a redneck section. Except you might be leader centered. Okay, you might be leader centered if your church watches a video screen every week of a pastor who works from a different location. You might be leader-centered if everyone talks about your church as the pastor's name's church. You might be leader-centered if people have stopped asking what would Jesus do and started asking what would the pastor do. You might be leader-centered if the church has a growing pile of issues about the pastor it keeps ignoring and or covering up. You might be leader-centered if the church will believe anything the pastor says you might be leader-centered if the church thinks the future is bleak because the pastor is leaving. Now, don't get me wrong. Leader-centered churches, they don't always become that way because they have uh, guys leading who, who are egotistical and dangerous and arrogant and proud. Like, it can happen with good leaders too. It can happen unintentionally. And so it's something to always be careful about, to be on the watch for. And I could go on with a longer list of strong and weak building materials, but I think that what I have presented covers a lot of ground and gives us a good place to go. So I won't. The list could never be exhaustive. I'll add one more. One more weak material. And this is not on your notes, so if you're keeping notes, you can write it down. Politics is a weak building material for a church. It's a distraction from the gospel, and it puts people's hope in the wrong place. So your church might be too political if it invites politicians to speak at its services. It might be too political if it keeps feeling the need to make position statements about every cultural issue that pops up. And it might be too political if the pastor is known more for his politics than his theology. It might be too political if there's more effort to get people to go vote than there is to get people to go share the gospel. I could go on, but you get the point, all right? We're not working for this kingdom. We're not working for rewards in this kingdom. We're not working to be seen as successful by this world. We're working for different rewards. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss. But he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Like I said earlier, these strong and weak building materials that we build on the true foundation with, they are not what make us saved or not saved, but they are what make us effective or ineffective. So if you believe that Jesus... Is who he says he is, the Jesus of the Bible. You believe in the true Jesus and you have repented of your sins and put your faith in him and chosen to follow him as the Lord of your life, then you will be saved. But we can do more than just be saved. We can magnify the glory of God. We can do more than just get to heaven ourselves. We can bring other people with us. We can do more than waste our lives on things that won't last. We can invest our lives on things that will last for eternity. That's the lure of this weak material. It's cheap, it's easy. Cardboard is cheaper and faster to build with than brick, but which should you build your house with? Aluminum foil is cheaper and faster to use than steel, but which do you want your car to be made out of? These weak materials, they're easy. It's easy to have bad doctrine. It's easy to be a consumer. It's easy to be pragmatic. It's easy to put more emphasis on the leaders that you can see than the leader that you have to actually open up your Bible and read about. It's easy to get caught up in politics, but none of that will last. David Pryor said, It will not be a matter of how successful or effective or popular or commended by men. The materials used will be exposed. Will they turn out to be gold, silver, and precious stones? Or will they actually be nothing but wood, hay, and straw? Will the work of Christians in Corinth prove to be what God has done by His Spirit or what men have erected in their own resources for their own benefit and glory? It is easy to cover up the materials of which a building is made so that it looks sturdy as well as impressive. The day will disclose it. See, when I was a child, I didn't care about quality and lasting value. I just cared that things were shiny and new. Okay? As as, as a teenager and a young adult, I didn't spend my money thinking too far into the future, right? Or... Even when I was thinking about the future, I wasn't thinking properly about the future. I was thinking about the present and improperly about the future, but as a mature adult, I've learned to invest in things that will last and be more beneficial in the long run. So I buy quality furniture that will last for a long time and I won't have to replace. I buy good shoes that won't hurt my feet because my feet are important. I buy cars that have been well cared for and will last for a long time as long as I care well for them. I recognize that junk food and soda might be cheap and delicious, but it's not good for me. Okay, can we not do the same thing with spiritual things? Like Paul said in Corinthians 13, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. See, church, don't settle. Don't settle for just making it to heaven yourself with nothing else to show for it. Don't settle for just getting, just barely getting your way into heaven by the skin of your teeth and everything that you spent your life doing was burned up. One day we're going to stand before our Savior And we can, bring with, we can bring things through the fire with us and we can stand before him and we can say, here is my offering. And he won't have to say, well, at least you made it. But he can say, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for your offering. Thank you for your love. Don't settle. Riviera Baptist Church is more than a foundation. And if you select me to be your next senior pastor, then I expect you to join me in making sure that we follow the principles from this passage as we build on the foundation with materials that will be strong and will make it through the fire instead of materials that are weak and will all get burned up. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for this passage of scripture. It's so good. Paul, Lord, you gave him so much wisdom. You showed him so many things that that he would write down that we would need to hear today. That, I mean, it's, it's like, I know that this was written so long ago, but he might as well have written it down today. We need it, we need it now. And I lament, Lord, I'm so sorry for all the, the things that that. Well, I'm, I'm so sad about all the tr- so-called churches out there that are built on the wrong foundation and are headed towards hell, and they don't even know it. I'm so sorry for all the true churches that that maybe do love you, but they they get distracted and and they don't they don't dig deep enough, and they build with weak materials and. Lord, one day they're going to stand before you and they're going to, well, they're going to be so happy to see you. There's no doubt about that. But they're also going to wish that they had built with stronger materials. And the reality is, Lord, all of us, even when we think we're doing right, Lord, we're going to stand before you and a lot of the things that we've focused on, a lot of the things that we've spent our time and our money and our energy and our sweat and our tears on, a lot of them will be burned up. But. Lord, I believe that, that we can have much that makes it through and that pleases you and that brings glory to your name. Lord, we're not just here to be saved. We're here to bring glory to God, to magnify the gospel of Jesus Christ. And thank you so much for that gospel. Thank you so much for that foundation. God, That that is... It is a source of peace to know that no matter what happens or no matter what happens to Revere Baptist Church, no matter what happens in in my life, to know that, you know what, I will be saved and I don't have to worry about that. That is the most amazing source of peace and hope that we could ever have. But we are more than a foundation. We want walls, Lord. We want a roof. We want to build. We want to add on. We want to keep going. We're not guaranteed success in the eyes of this world, Lord. But if we can be obedient, then we will be successful in your eyes. So I pray that as we move forward as a church, that everyone who decides to move forward with Riviera would have that philosophy, Lord, that they would seek to build with those kinds of materials, that we would measure our success by whether or not we are being obedient to you. Give us wisdom. Give us strength. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.